This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Bill Stakos is a futurist. When I first met him in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 2022, he was presenting the state of customer experience in the year 2030. He is also a respected thought leader. He's worked at Freddie Mac. He's worked at uh, where he was the head of the creation, execution, and measurement of the customer experience strategy across Freddie Mac's $2.3 trillion single-family guarantee portfolio. And prior to that, he was the head of customer experience at Chase's home lending business, and he held senior-level global positions with Credit Suisse Group, and with American Express. In today's episode, we talk about some really pressing and critical topics for companies seeking to differentiate themselves from the competition based on the customer experience, including embedding empathy into your organization, democratizing data across your enterprise, rethinking the ROI of CX, how a marketing miss became a CX issue, and three keys that companies should do now to plan for the future. All right. Well, I am so excited to introduce my guest on today's episode of the Delighted Customers Podcast, Bill Stakos. Bill, welcome to the show. Mark, it's great to be here with you today. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to, everybody comes to CX through a different path, through a different journey. Yeah. And I would really be interested in like, how how it started for you and how it evolved to where where it is today how'd you end up where you are yeah so if you give me a minute just because it goes way back so i always joke yeah. around it's not really a joke it's actually a true story but i joke around that my cx experience started when i was about six years old nice. and uh you know i've got greek immig- immigrant parents um and i'm from the northeast uh new york native and um you know, the cliche, if you're Greek, you either own a diner or you work in a diner. And uh, back in those years, at least, I'm not sure if it's still the case today, largely is. But um, I, I grew up and working in a diner, looked at my mother, you know, being a hostess, uh, greeting customers, making sure that they were, the food was fine. They were having a good experience. My dad working in the kitchen, which I now to this day equate like, you know, back office and front office, um, worked in diners in pretty much every role. Um, and, uh, you know, and my parents were always just very adamant. I wouldn't work, wouldn't ever work at a diner, you know, classic immigrant kind of story, go be a doctor, lawyer, you know, uh, something else. Right. Um, mm-hmm. than than what we do here and, or banker. And I went into financial services and, um, I read Joe Pine's book in 1999. I'm going to date myself a little bit is post-college. And, um, that book connected, what I grew up in that service mindset that was instilled in me as a kid to something that's real and like a real job. And I quit, I quit financial services um, after reading that book. And I'm like, this is like a real thing. I want to go do this. And um, 
yeah, like they say, the rest is history. I went and I went and worked for like a small market research company, um, and it, it, I had I was having so much fun. We were doing research for like uh, Microsoft, HP, Compact about how to penetrate into the small and mid market business space. Mm. Um, I did the conjoint analysis on the first Palm Pilot. If I'm gonna now, I'm really gonna date myself, <laughs> uh, which helped price the first Palm Pilot, which is pretty cool. Um, pretty cool project. And um, yeah, went into some consulting for a long while there and then just decided I want to be on the client side and have worked in CX teams, have led them, have built new practices, have brought EX and CX together with culture. So uh, it's really varied. And now I work at Medallia. I'm a senior vice president at the company. Medallia, for your listeners that don't know what it is, um, is the number one enterprise experience platform. So not just surveys, but also bringing disparate signals together to understand what your customer needs are and then helping you make heads or tails of them and then being able to take action on those insights. Um, and I also podcast about, as you know, about customer and employee experience. Um, and I've been doing the podcast now for a couple of years. So that's me. Thank you, Bill. That was a great run up. And, and if I could just, uh, for our audience medallia. So what, um, what, um, market would you say is kind of their niche? So, well, our biggest vertical is financial services. Okay. Um, you know, I, my customer and employee experience work spans plus 20 years in financial services. So I work with a lot of, you know, um, large midsize um, financial services, businesses, companies. Um, but we do serve every industry vertical. Um, and, you know, not only large enterprises, but also mid-market companies as well. Yeah, we've got different solutions that meet the needs of different size organizations. So okay, and and implicit in there is is a, is a platform. Uh, That's right. That, that you guys offer as a piece of t- uh, a software system to help gather and collect customer insight, customer data, and then turn that into insights. Correct. Okay. All right. Just want to give people a little background. Yeah. So. Bill and I, um, we had not, we, we don't live geographically too far away. Mm-hmm. I'm in Delaware, he's in Virginia, but we hadn't met in person until a couple of weeks ago. Then we met twice in two different states. <laughs> I, know, I know that was so cool. <laughs> that was really, really cool. Uh, we were, we were both, uh, in DC and then in Michigan at Michigan state university, um, uh, presenting in, um, the, the presentation that Bill gave, so Bill, I, I, of all the people and that I know in the CX world, you're, you're probably one of the handful that I would call a futurist. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And, and your presentation in DC was about what it's going to look like in the year 2030. Yeah. And I, I don't want to ruin it, anything for the audience today, but we're not going to be spending time in 2030. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what we're going to talk about is a little bit more in line with more, more today mm-hmm. and what. CEOs and business leaders might um, might be curious about in terms of, hey, what is this thing uh, called customer experience? Why yeah. would I want to have it in my organization? And what's it going to do for me? Like, yeah. what results can I expect? And that was more in line with your presentation in at Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah. I think today, Mark, there's a really big misconception with CX's surveys customer satisfaction score, net promoter score, or NPS. Folks, you know, your listeners may have heard of that stuff. Um, And it really is so much more than that. I always, when I'm talking to executives or even other CX leaders, I always say the primary objective, and and this is in my presentation that I gave at Michigan State, 
should have three primary goals from a customer experience perspective or even employee experience perspective for that matter. Number one is you increase revenues, you drive efficiencies or cut costs or costs, lower costs to serve for your business, and you improve the culture in your organization. Like if your goal as a, as a customer experience leader or if you're a CEO and you're saying, hey, I want someone to measure the satisfaction of our customer base and I want that person to own that score and increase it, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the, the customer experience, the customer experience as a discipline or experience as a discipline has fallen into this, what I call um, uh, the survey break fix trap. Meaning I send out a survey to a customer, they give me feedback. That feedback could be negative. Um, I go fix that as a company. And then I just wait for the next, or just see what the next survey says. If I'm lucky, a lot of surveys say those go fix the same thing, right? And, you know, that's, let's say if you're really lucky, that's 12 to 15% response rate of your customers responding to our survey. And then what about the other 85%? What are they saying or doing? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of great and, you know, not expensive capabilities out there today, um, uh, technology that helps you understand and make sense of different signals, meaning, you know, what are your customers doing in app or online? What is, what is their digital behavior? And you can determine whether they're happy or not, frankly, by that digital behavior. And you don't have to ask them one question. Um, you can easily transcribe. If you've got a contact center, you can try transcribe those calls into text and have that text analyzed for sentiment um, and themes, as an example. And there's gold in there, right? I mean, the largest banks probably get about a million and a half calls per day into their contact center. Obviously, not everybody has that kind of volume. But over time, you can build up that, that database of knowledge and you can identify what are we doing well and what do we need to improve? And then how do we double down on what we're doing well to really differentiate us in the marketplace? Um, and create more share of wallet or revenue, whatever you want to call it. And then for the things that we're not doing so well, and you know, how do we fix those? Like, what are our customers? What are what are their expectations of us for this specific um, problem? And I think that, um, yeah, too much folks are focused on the survey, and that's and that's how they're doing. And then you know, when scores go down or markets get tough, I mean, you're seeing people get laid off left and right. It's because you know, CX isn't nice to have. I you know. A friend of mine said this, and and she said that I can use this term. But uh, you know, CX is like sprinkles on ice cream to a lot of executives or the CX team, and um, it shouldn't be that. It should really be a driver for um, for business strategy and growth in an organization. So that's a that's a great point. Let's build off that topic. Yeah. So if I if I'm a CEO and um, and I'm thinking of it as sprinkles on ice cream like why should why should i think about it differently well i think that every well look i think that if you're a ceo of a business or let's just say in the Mm c-suite you're constantly thinking about how to improve your organization and maximizing the output of every team and if the output of a team is a report that goes to an executive group or some part of the business that shows a score or a metric going up or down and not much else, that's not a whole lot of value add, right? 
they, they right. might be saying going back to one part of the business, let's say you're, you work for a bank and you've got, let's say you're an insurance company. Hey, you know, customers are saying that they're less satisfied with claims and maybe that's due to the, the length of time from the initial call to payment on that claim. Okay. That's still useless information. Hmm. It really is. Like if you're a business, if you're an operator, okay, well, what is the expectation? Like, you know, do they expect it to be 14 days, seven days, one day, you know, 24 hour turnaround? Like you got to go deeper and a lot of teams don't go deeper. And if it is, let's say the expectation is, Hey, this should be 24 hours. Okay. Can we even do that? Like operationally, can we even like, how would we do that? Um, could we do that? How close could we even get um, to where it's still profitable for us to have that person take a call go through the claim process, the adjuster, et cetera, and then, and then make the payout. And, um, you know, without someone constantly looking at how do I move the dial constantly on sort of the journeys that our customers go through to improve them, if you're not looking at or going deeper on that feedback to say, this is exactly what we need to do for our customers to be, to continue to come back and paying those premiums to us versus switching. And, um, you can't do that through surveys alone. It's not, it's not possible. You can't get deep enough. So you can't get deep enough. Let's, let's talk about, I know you're an advocate of core competencies yeah. for, a, for a CX journey, a CX discipline. Yeah. Talk about what some of those competencies are. If I'm a CEO that I need to embed into my culture. Yeah. So one, and I know this this sounds a little bit like sprinkles on ice cream, but you gotta have you know you gotta have like empathy for your customer embedded in the organization, and that you know call it you know being able to walk a mile in their shoes, whatever you want to call it. But and, and you and you can't if you if you're not listening to what your customers are doing and saying, meaning through direct feedback or you know direct observation, um, it's tough to have empathy for the customer. Number two is. You to have empathy for the customer throughout your organization, you need to democratize those insights. And what I mean by that is every operator should have access to that information. And every whether it's a product team, whether it's an agile team, whether it's a marketing team, whether it's sales organization, they need to have that information in as real time as possible. Otherwise, they can't make the decisions they need to make to improve products or services, to be able to sell better. To you know, to create more sort of uh, growth in a relationship, or be able to save a relationship from churning, right? Um, a lot of companies that I talk to don't even like send um, send their sales teams. Hey, this customer gave us a low score, right? Or this customer gave us an MPS. Like they're high, they would high, they would recommend us go ask for the recommendation. You know, very, very simple things like that that you can do within a survey context um, that companies are not doing. And, um, you know, that leads to churn and that leads to, you know, missed opportunities from a growth perspective. So so we, we're empathizing, we're listening, we're, we're gathering insights, yeah. we're going deep, deeper than than companies normally or typically might go. And then we're democratizing the data. So now we've got, we've got to that point What's next? What what else do we need to do then? Yeah, I think it's empowering or 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 giving your team members, your frontline staff, the the runway or the leeway to be able to act on that information, and 
you know, if if you're not empowering your business to act on the the insights that you're gathering around your customers, um, you're missing a big opportunity. And whether that's, you know, and I've heard this right in my own career uh, in places that I've worked, you know, giving a sales leader information about a client. Okay, well, how does this help me? Like, how am I going to drive sales through this? Like, they're just unhappy. I don't want to call them, mm-hmm. right? So, like, being able to coach and train and give people the tools to be able to act on insights is, I think is another big marker um, of what uh, organizations should be looking to do. Um, and finally, I think that, you know, the last thing I would say about this is, is think about, um, think about your organization horizontally as your customers engage, right? So you know, if you think about sort of financial services organizations, and let's just take a big company, they may have a card business, they may have an auto business, a mortgage business, a retail business, maybe an insurance arm, right? And mm-hmm. what you find a lot is that you have a leader on top of every one of these silos. They have their own objectives for their products. And the reality is a lot of customers actually buy more than one product. So you might have a retail account and a credit card and maybe a mortgage or an auto loan with a specific financial institution. But, you know, the people in that business that are working for the company can't see that. That's a major issue. Mm -hmm. And because they can't see that, they can't personalize the experiences when they call in. Or they can't say, well, gosh, this is a really important client because maybe they've even got private wealth, you know, with that business, right? Um, You know, I really need to pay attention to this. I need to maybe treat them with... uh, a little bit higher level of service. I might, you know, put the white gloves on for this call, right? And um, and if if you're not thinking horizontally um, across your business as your customers interact with you, you're missing opportunities to connect experiences for them and to design your products in a way that it doesn't feel like a customer is jumping from one, you know, company to the next, depending on the product that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're missing opportunities if you're, if there's, if the company, if the customer is feeling like they're operating within a set of walls mm-hmm. and, and so these, so why does that happen? Why, why does that even exist? I think it's just, you know, one, you've got legacy technology that doesn't talk to each other. You've mm-hmm. got sort of the, the individual uh, silo objectives, right? Like individual mm-hmm. strategies, um, data that doesn't talk well to each other, right? Um, mm-hmm. There are a number of reasons why that happens. Um, I just think that organiz- you know, financial services in particular really should be investing more in, um, again, thinking about as a consumer, where do I hop in and hop out uh, and engage that brand? Um, and what are their opportunities? I'll give you another example. Um, in a past life, you know, we would look at data like like single product customers versus multi product customers, and we would try and identify the single product customers that are most likely, uh, or that look like multi product customers, but they don't have multiple products. You know, that could be demographics, socioeconomics, you know, et cetera. Um, that creates massive marketing opportunity. And think about, you know, 
think about marketing in a smarter way versus just sending out a card flyer, credit card flyer, or some other marketing um, that, you know, you kind of, kind of spray and pray. And I see that a lot from credit card companies today. I, I've got one credit card. It's our only credit card that we use. We have others, obviously. But every week, my wife and I get a mailer for the same credit card. And I'm just like, they're burning through tens of millions of dollars because I'm sure that I'm not the only one that this is happening to. That's that's a CX issue or a customer mm-hmm. experience issue, right? One, right. it doesn't put a lot of faith in, you know, you know, I don't have really a lot of faith in sort of the marketing machine of this organization. I've used to work for them actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, like if they thought about sort of me as an individual or us as a household, which I know they've got all that data, um, you know, they can be much smarter about and targeted uh, with the products and services that they approach us with. So they can be more strategic. Yeah, of course. You know, saves them money, lowers their marketing spend, improves the likelihood of me taking up another one of their products. Because I think it's a great, the card product is great. We, I mean, it's literally the only one we use. And, um, you know, create stickiness in the relationship versus hey, this is really the only one I use. What if I just started using a different one today, right? Just takes right. that little crack in the relationship to start people thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't you know, put all my eggs in one basket. So Bill, we, we, we talked about ways to improve the experience from a strategy standpoint. We talked about being empathetic, listening, democratizing the data, um, allowing the frontline staff some latitude to mm-hmm. be able to make adjustments. Um, and then, you know, organizing horizontally rather than in these vertical silos. If I'm a, if I'm a CEO, again, let's just say it's a midsize organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be asking or be asked about what is the financial impact or value of CX work in general? That could be, maybe we're thinking about hiring a CX professional, Maybe we have one and we're wondering what, what is the return on it? It's not, yeah. we're just seeing reporting. How would you go about proving the ROI and, you know, and what framework would you, would you start to think about that? So here's another thing that I think where I'm a little bit different than your average CX person. Okay. Um, I think that CX as a discipline is having the wrong conversation around, oh, I've, I've, let's prove the ROI of CX. Um, no other organization that I've worked for talks about proving their ROI. I don't know why the CX community has gotten into this thing where they got to prove the ROI. I think it's just a dumb conversation, to be honest. If I'm a CEO and I hire an executive and they have, they have like a real toolkit around customer experience and I give them, I give them the resource they need to be successful. So being able to be able to, um, capture the voice of the customer. Not again, surveys, but also like what they're doing. So being able to look at digital behavior, being able to analyze operational data alongside, um, you know, multiple signals, um, being able to translate that voice to text and analyze that. That's not a huge cost or investment. Um, But I expect that person to be able to tell me much like I would turn to my CFO or my CMO or CIO, how are you going to use your skill set, the tools that you have access to, to help our company drive revenue? Let's say your strategy or your one of your you know objectives is grow revenue by ten percent. 
I want that head of CX to help me understand how they're going to use their toolkit to create experiences that drive revenue 10%. Like, I, I don't care about customer satisfaction. Well, I do care about customer satisfaction scores, right? But like, at the end of the day, it's, you got to have that person focused and drive real business outcomes. And if you're, unless you have in your strategy, improve NPS by 10 points, which I've never worked for one company that does that. You know, that CX leader needs to rethink their approach and how they're leveraging the toolkit to be successful and say, my goal is to drive company revenue by 10%, or maybe it's reduce the cost of serve um, and reduce our costs overall. I'll give you a great example. I was speaking to a large insurance company and the head of their um, life insurance business said, because I asked them, well, what's on your, what's, you know, what are some of your strategic goals in the coming year? And they said, well, I've got a plus 10% bogey on my 2023 revenue targets was just given that. So that's a big number. And I've got a hundred million dollar efficiency play that I've got to solve for. And I was like, wow, that, that's actually pretty aggressive. And this person said, yeah, it was really aggressive. And I said, well, how are you using your CX team to, to help solve for some of that? Mm-hmm. And they kind of looked at me literally like I had three heads. I'm like, well, that's not what you're <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. I'm like, but do you, why don't you give them 30 million out of the 100 million on efficiency as their target? And this person, again, looks at me like I have three heads. I'm like, that's not what they do. They don't have the resources to do that. I'm like, actually, I know what your CX team is capable of doing. I absolutely think that they can hit that plus. Hmm. You just got to give them the target. And um, I don't know if, if they did. My sense is that they gave them something. Um, but that that to me is the conversation to be having between a business owner or leader and your CX discipline. And if they can't help you achieve that, then you've got the wrong team. So, so let's, let's walk through um, an illustration of how I I might, if I'm a, um, how that might work for a CEO, like in his, his or her mind, like how that might work. So, um, whether it's whether it's a, a an operational say you know cost savings or improvement or whether it's revenue growth yeah there are different you you alluded to the fact that there are some operational costs there are some you you mentioned some um, experience data yep. Or, yep. or metrics and then there's other top line metrics as well to talk talk to me like it doesn't have to be specific numbers but how how might you walk through that getting there yeah so I you know one. I would probably start to look at why why customers are calling into a contact center. Mm. Easy, low-hanging fruit kind of example. Mm. Um, and where they're calling from. Like what what were they doing before they call the contact center? Because it's one thing for an agent mm. to say, this customer is called about payments level level one and specifically couldn't execute a payment like online, let's just say. Um, okay. So okay, we hope that's correct, right? Um, my experience, and I'm not saying contact center agents are bad people. It's just, they're getting a lot of calls each day. They probably have 200 different category and subcategory combinations to actually pick which ones. A lot of them are just picking other. So you don't really have great data. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really understanding one, what are people doing? So what is the journey? So let's think about the payments journey for your customers and maybe they want to align. Okay, what data can we discern around payments? What are they doing? 
um, are, you know, based on sort of, you know, are they rage clicking? Are they creating sort of like the bird's nest scrolling? Are they going back and forth, different sort of options? Um, you know, do, do we have, are we, do we have anything confusing? I'll give you, I won't mention the bank, but my bank, if I want to deposit a check, would take a picture of a check. I don't go to deposits. I have to go to payments. Hmm. Right. So like the UX or usability, you know, user experience mm-hmm. is not very intuitive. No. Right. Now I'm used to this because I selected every other option until I got to, you know, payments. And then I was like, make a deposit. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But okay. That's where it is. Right. So really trying to figure out what our customers doing and not doing and wh- where that friction point is. You might have a, a, a purchasing journey and customers might be falling out. So being able to understand where in that digital experience they're falling out, you've got revenue leakage. So how do we get, how do we fix that part of the journey to keep customers in the funnel and get them to click buy in the shopping cart, right? Right. Um, if they're calling the contact center and you understand why and where they're coming from in that context, then you can fix that. You not only sort of let, customers then execute on the payment, which you get paid for, but also you reduce the calls into the contact center, which is probably, let's say seven bucks a call. If you got a million calls on one topic, that's 7 million bucks that you've just saved your business, right? You probably say, okay, if we reduce calls by a million calls, maybe we don't need a hundred people. Maybe we need 95. And then you repurpose those five to do something different in the organization. So there's a lot of kind of, you know, connecting the dots, but you got to collect the dots first and look for those opportunities to say, okay, we've plugged a revenue leak here because we know where in the digital experience customers are falling out of the funnel. And we know that because of the that friction, they're calling into the contact center. Now we've reduced both, you know, we've reduced our cost and we've increased our, our revenue, right? Because they're, they're staying in the funnel. You know, um, another great example might be um, let's take surveys. If you're, if your company, let's just say just does a survey. Um, you know, I mentioned it before, um, in the podcast, if customers are giving you a 10 out of 10 or a five out of five or a very high MPS score, meaning that they would recommend your business, mm-hmm. don't just celebrate that. Call back your customer and say, thanks so much for the high rating. Is there anyone that you would recommend? Mm. Ask for the recommendation. If they say they're likely to recommend to a friend or a mm. colleague, then ask for it. If you can start, if you converted 1%, right, even, yeah, that's more revenue for your company. So different things that you can do that don't really cost much, frankly, um, you know, that, that can really drive top or bottom line growth for your organization. Yeah, th- those are those are great examples. So I heard you say, you know, at some point you have to look at the operations mm-hmm. um, and and where a, a customer is experience fr- experiencing friction, and in this case maybe channel jumping because there's too much friction in one channel, they jump to a more expensive channel. Yeah, that's right. By and it's a lose, it's a lose lose, right? That's right. It's hundred percent right. The customer is frustrated. As a business, you're frustrated because you're losing customers, um, and you know it's costing you money in the whole process, which is even worse, right? Like you don't want to be losing customers and having you cost more at the end of the day, it's kind of a double whammy to your business. So where does um, redesigning the experience, uh, you know, 
taking a look at where the friction is. Maybe it's a journey map, maybe it's some other way, but where does that fit into the whole picture? So I, you know, look, you can create journey maps if you want. Um, my advice has always been two things. One is look at what products or services you have the mo- that are making your business the most money and start there because mm. my experience has always been that's where the most revenue leakage is as well. And I mean, just by sheer volume and, and you know, by way of, you know, being the highest volume part of the business. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can think about, you know, you don't have to you know, personally, like, yes, you can create a journey map. You can understand from the customer's perspective, what's happening. You can create a service blueprint and map out, meaning you can map out the back of the house and sort of the, you know, what customers don't see versus what customers do see. You can spend a lot of money doing that. Um, but you can also do this relatively inexpensively, meaning let's understand the process from our business's perspective first. Let's understand then, let's lay over what are our customers saying and where we have information gaps, let's just go ask our customers. You know, and um, and you don't need a thousand surveys. I mean, go ask 20 customers. You'll probably get more in those 20 from a pure usability perspective than, you know, the kind of curve kind of it's diminishing returns for usability after about frankly like 12 or 13 conversations. But let's just say you've got a 20 people and you ask them about their experience and what, what's challenging. Um, and you try and pick a diverse set, right? You don't want to just go all to like a Gen Z or, you know, Gen X like me or you, or, you know, baby boomers and understand like where their friction points are, you know, be smart about who you're asking and then, you know, sit down as a company and say, okay, how can we design this better? That's profitable for us but also balances the customer's needs, right? Um, you don't have to wow the customer, you know, and create a lot of cost for your company. I think that's just not a good business practice. I think just create a good experience that is consistently good um, and um, that you can deliver in a profitable way. Yeah, I started to smile a little bit because you included me, I think, in the Gen Xers and I somehow escaped into the baby boomer just made that cut off. Oh, so you did? I oh man. Appreciate well, the compliment. Hey, no, there. that's uh that's kudos to you then for looking better <laughs> than I do, even. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, so looking if I were a uh again, if I were a CEO and you Bill pulled out his crystal ball yeah. uh, three just three years from now. Yeah. Um, and I was gonna you were gonna share some advice. Um, what are the common pitfalls that companies fall into and what's like the number one or two things that they should, they should start doing now? Yeah. Um, invest in your data, uh, in a big, making sure that no matter what the source is, either you've centralized it, um, one, but also, you know, what data you have, how it can be used. And you and you have it in a form that is usable, and you want that from an analytics perspective, and it's operational data, it's financial data, it's you know different customer data. Um, get your data ducks in a row. That's always my first sort of rule. And um, I really like if you think about sort of experience, um, the customer experience work generally, where the work is going is data and automation. So how do I leverage, you know, again, not, you know, I don't personally, I don't love surveys. They have a place. 
they'll always have a place likely for a long, long time. Um, but um, think about that. And then think about what um, what technology, number two is I'd say, think about what technologies could disrupt your organization or change the way that you engage with your customers. You know, I talk, you know, I talk a lot about the future of our discipline and the advent of new technology like wearables as an example. If you work in a, if you're a financial services CEO, wearables are going to fundamentally change your business, whether you realize it or not. In fact, if, if once a client walks into your office with a wearable, that experience is now digital. And that can create a lot of new and interesting data for your company. Um, we got to figure out like how people will share that data and what's shareable, what's not obviously, but um, that is really important data. So even that, so like, you know, how are we going to think about new data and how are we going to use that to not only coach and train RFAs, right? If you've got financial advisors working your company or claim adjusters or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, so one, getting your data set now or getting in a great place now will help you, uh, be in a very, very great place. Once wearables become a little bit more ubiquitous, um, you know, and everyone's kind of walking around with visors over their head at some point over the next, let's say seven years. Um, number two is, um, investing in technology that helps you not only connect disparate sources, but also understand the experience that your customers are having through whatever touch point they're engaging with you and your brand is super important. I think experience can be a massive differentiator for an organization, not only for the reasons that we just talked about, but also, um, and I think it's pretty well known, right? If you deliver a great customer experience, you can charge more, right? Um, you get more business, et cetera. Um, so being able to invest in capabilities, and, and I don't mean this to sound self-serving, but investing in capabilities to help you understand the experience being delivered, I think is really, really critical. Um, and then finally, um, investing in sort of, you know, that middleware or APIs, you know, making sure that that technology, whatever you're investing in, can talk to other systems in a, in a smart way. Um, one, it reduces your IT risk. Two, it it improves your opportunities to be able to act on information. Um, and three, I think it, it, you know, it'll, it'll reduce your overall cost of ownership too. And, and obviously the flip side of that then would be the mistakes would be not doing those things. Oh yeah. I mean, the data piece for me is number one, if you're not investing your data in your data in a smart way, um, you know, customer data platforms have been really popular over the last couple of years. I think I think more investment needs to be made there by a lot of organizations, big and small. And I think that there's there's millions being left on the table, frankly, in opportunity uh, by not investing uh, and getting uh, getting your data in order. So, for the average um, <clears throat> for the average uh, layperson, when you say customer data data systems. I mean, I think about everything from Medallia to Salesforce. Um, what what is there is there a specific category of data, um, cu- customer data platforms that you're thinking of? I mean, Salesforce is pretty popular from a broader CRM perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, like you know, organizations like Adobe um, really can help marketing as well as experience organizations. 
Um, you know, we can help a medallion certainly can help from an experience perspective. Um, so, you know, customer data platforms or CDPs is sort of like the, the acronym, you know, I think, um, I think organizations should be looking at those to say, how are we bringing all this disparate data together, you know, into, into a central location that allows us to use it in a much smarter way than we have in the past. Mm. And that's not just technology. That's also people like you got to invest also in data architects, data scientists to be able to make heads or tails of this stuff. Um, right. The, 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 the people element is obviously there and, and that's also can be expensive. So, um, sometimes even more expensive than the software itself. Hmm. Well, that, that is, those are some interesting tips and good stuff. And, um, it only makes sense that, um, you know, having the right, so, so so we don't want to have a, technology in search of a strategy totally technology is never the answer it's always the question it's always the question (laughs) (laughs) and and on that note we'll we'll end uh, a great conversation with bill um thank you so much this has been really insightful and different than any of my other podcasts i i i love your insight uh, um just a just a crazy background i love the story about working uh, in the Greek restaurant with the family, <laughs> you know, I grew up on Long Island. So every corner we had a Greek restaurant, yeah. a, Greek, a Greek diner. Yeah. Um, and one was better than the next. And we spent Saturday nights. And what I loved was that they really, it seemed like they never closed. They were open all the time. Yeah. You get breakfast at all hours too, which was always a nice, nice bonus. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> and on a high school student's budget that, that worked great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Bill, you are an awesome guy. Uh, CX thought leader, um, industry leader and just uh, so honored that you would you would be on my delighted customers podcast show thank you also wanted to ask if anyone wanted to reach you what would be yeah. the best way they can get a hold of you so uh, i'm on linkedin bill stakos s-t-a-i-k-o-s um hit me up on linkedin if you want to chat happy to continue a conversation if you have any questions um, or want to noodle any ideas, just, you know, DM me, direct message me through LinkedIn. I think that's probably the easiest way. And also you have an award-winning podcast, right? Share the name of it. I do. So the show is called Be Customer Led, um, Be Customer LED Led. Uh, it's on every major uh, podcasting platform as well as YouTube. We do audio and video and um, we just crossed a uh, hundred listeners in 106 countries, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. That's impressive. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, uh, Mark. And uh, it was awesome to get to meet you uh, within days of, of each other, those meetings in two different states. I can't say that a lot about people that I, that I interact with, um, but um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored that you had me on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. I want to ask you if you would do two things. One is if you've enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up on the show and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.